This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, our guest is Roger Royce, who is a partner with Haynes and Boone in Palo Alto, California. Roger, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Gary. So, Roger, tell us some about yourself. Well, I'm a tax and corporate partner with Haynes and Boone. We're a AmLaw 100 law firm. I'm based in Palo Alto. I work mostly with tech startups and closely held companies, formation, financing, contracts, and M&A. What made you decide to get into law? Oh, geez. <laughs> um, go right to the heart of it. Well, you know, my dad was a small businessman back in North Dakota, where I'm from. And I noticed that whenever he had a problem, uh, I guess in the old days, you know, people would go to the village shaman or witch doctor. Uh, <laughs> when I was growing up, you went to the attorney and asked them to solve the problem for you, or at least interpret the language of, of business. And uh, that seemed to me to be a really cool thing to do. So that that's what really made me get into it. And then uh, once I once I did get into it, I I realized that uh, uh, I kind of like the intellectual aspect of mm-hmm. legal analysis. Um, you know, in some ways, they say lawyers are all frustrated businessmen. So that's why I work with companies and do startups, uh, but can still um, involve myself in the intellectual aspect. Gotcha. So, you know, lots of times, you know, when people are, you know, forming their businesses and stuff, you know, they make mistakes. Um, What are some of the common mistakes that they make when they do this? Yeah, um, well, I actually wrote a whole book on the topic. It's called Dead on Arrival, How to Avoid the Legal Mistakes That Could Kill Your Startup. And I just go through some of the most common mistakes. And and let me just set this up by saying that I've, I've been doing this a long time and I've practiced in a lot of different places in the Midwest and the oil patch and on Wall Street in New York City and Hollywood. And I spent the last 30 years, however, here in Silicon Valley uh, in the tech business. But, but what's interesting about that in all those places and in all those industries, people still seem to make the same mistakes, you know, and the number one mistake everyone makes is just a lack of documentation. And it's um, surprising how many people will do business on a handshake or, or business on an email or, or, or not even that much. 
and it's it's a it's a big one. It's it's a dead on arrival sort of mistake right. if there's nothing that evidences what the deal is. Because I promise you, a year from now, everyone's going to have different recollections mm-hmm. as to what they think they agreed to. So that's probably my number one uh, big big mistake. And it and it's also you know it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. I can introduce you to millionaires based on something scribbled on a napkin. Uh, I know they walk into my office once in a while. Here's here's a napkin. This is our deal, um, and it's it, it doesn't take much, but there's got to be something. And ideally, it's a lot more than that. Of course, that's my job is to give crisp, clear, uh, non-ambiguous documentation. But you got to have something. So, can you explain? I mean, you know, we're saying that this is a mistake, and I and I run across this all the time, also. Um, but explain what I mean. What, what is the, by not having this documentation, what is it that is the mistake that they're making? Yeah, the mistake that they're making is there's no evidence of, of what the party's agreement is. Let me tell you how this often plays out. And I've seen this more than once. And it's really, it's actually really tragic because in, in the kind of companies I work with, there's a relatively low rate of success, but when they are successful, they're really big. Mm-hmm. You know, it's high risk, but but high reward. And if you can imagine, imagine a company that has managed to do everything right. They got the right team in place. They found product market fit. They've uh, they've managed to get their beta launched. And now they've got a meeting with the investor and they've got people interested in investing money in them so they can go out to the market. And I've been in those meetings where the investor says, oh, gee, what's your stock ownership? Or I say, you guys been doing business for a while together. What's your deal? And one of them says, oh, well, the deal 60-40. And the other one says, yeah, that's right. The deal is 60-40. We agree. Turns out they didn't agree, right? And that company is going to be really hard, you know, to, to, to revive, even though they've done everything else right, because you got founders that just never had an agreement. And they'll either negotiate it and come to some compromise, um, and we can move on. And there's plenty of good examples of that. But or they won't, and they're dead on arrival. We got to start over. Yeah, I mean, I definitely ha- have found, like you said, that many times, you know, especially years down the road, everybody's memory isn't as good as it used to be. And when it comes to money later on, um, you know, there, there always seems to seems to be issues, and and people uh, have hurt feelings about it. That's for sure. Yeah, if I can add to that, you know, lawyers are professional warriors. Mm-hmm. And um, it is true. It's like we say, it's not a problem until it's a problem. Right. And it is true that most of the time, a lot of the things that I counsel people uh, about will never come to happen. But it's that one in 10 times that it does, that will that will be a, a huge problem. So think of it as an insurance. That's most of the legal issues. But the one about no documentation, that's a really scary one because you just don't know what people are going to sign until they sign it. Right, right. What are some of the questions when, when these clients are coming into you and they're you know just starting up and things like that? What are some of the questions you wish that they were asking you that they that they really aren't? Ah, that's a good, that's a good question, because it's really important. People kind of assume that they're going to go to a lawyer and a lawyer is going to just tell them everything they should know. Right. And that's not true. And it's like going to a doctor and not and hoping a doctor asks you what your, the right symptom is. You know, you kind of have to know 
a little bit about what questions to ask the lawyer and what things to focus them on. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people don't do that. Now, the people that are listening to your podcast are obviously not in that category. They are educating themselves. They're listening to this stuff. They're looking for what are the common things that I should be right. thinking about and looking out for. And that's a really important thing to do. You need to tell your lawyer, you need to know what questions to ask the lawyer. Yeah, I, I know we've talked before, um, you know, on, on prior podcasts to people letting them know that, um, you know, with with CPAs, with the state planners, with attorneys, things like that, that, that there's a specialty that kind of each one of them is in. So, you know, uh, why is it important that, you know, again, you, you have the tax background and, and the legal background. So why is that so important to, to go to someone like you as compared to their divorce attorney. Well, I would never try to do a divorce or, uh, <laughs> or or represent a criminal defendant or anything like that. And but oddly enough, I, I do see startup companies where they have a brother-in-law who works in a DA's office, and you know how tough can it be? I can go online, or, or worse, they just go online and download a bunch of forms. Um, and um, yeah, it takes somebody who who is a specialist, and part of it because. It's a lot of law, but it's also a lot of lore. You know, the company has to look a certain way going forward. And if it doesn't, if you're not doing what the market sort of expects you to do, you get punished in the market. What I mean by that is that investors, uh, they might not invest because they just don't want to do the extra due diligence to figure out if your novel, cool, you know, legal idea works. Right. Uh, acquirers might hit you on valuation points. So it really does take a, a specialist. Yeah, I've seen, I, I've, I've had, you know, clients come in and, and they've gone on the legal Zoom or onto one of those other services and, you know, paid to, to get their, um, you know, their articles of organization and, and uh, bylaws depending on their, on their company and literally still have the blanks in there for, for where they were supposed to add information um, and, and can you talk about that if somebody were to, to come in and say, oh, here's my, you know, here's my articles of organization or, or my bylaws um, and everything's still blank? Yeah. So, yeah, I see that all the time, too. And, and so I've kind of mixed feelings about that, especially the do-it-yourself sites. On the one hand, um, and no offense to anybody, because I've got plenty of clients who started on a do-it-yourself site and came to me and we cleaned it up and they did very well and raised lots of money. But to me, you're sort of, there's a message there. The message is, I'm not willing to get my feet wet. I'm not willing to hire a lawyer to look at what I'm doing. And the, mess, the subtle message is, I don't really believe in what I'm doing. Um, and that's okay. You might just be testing the waters, but at some point, you do have to know what you believe in what you're doing, and you do have to make sure, absolutely sure it's right. And you can't do that with a bot. You just can't. I could go on and on about it. Um, so and so, I, like I say, I've got mixed feelings because the do-it-yourself sites, they kind of eliminate, you know, they call the herd. Let me put it that way. They call the herd. Um, and a few of the companies that will start there will actually, you know, do pretty well and they'll get investors interested and then they'll come to me and then we'll, you know, we'll just clean up whatever needs to be cleaned up. 
You know, on that, I, I like to say there's three kinds of legal issues. One is the kind we talked about, the most extreme, the dead on arrival issue. You don't have it in writing and your founders disagree. Um, there's a second kind, which is, yeah, there's a mistake there and it's gonna cost you some valuation points, but we can fix it. You're not dead, you're just not as rich as you could have been, all right? right. So we can take care of it, you know, don't, don't freak out. Um, and then there are the third kind that, you know, we can take care of it. We, you know, you just gotta catch it, you gotta clean it up before the investor sees it and no harm, no foul. Uh, the tricky part is knowing which is which. And, and I gave you one, I'd like to give you a second one because sure. this one is a little more subtle and I'll give you three, I'll give you four. The second one that's really catching a lot of people, especially in my home, my adopted state, adopted state of California is um, employment misclassification. And it's, it's a big issue. It's a big issue because there's so many new gig economy businesses um, and COVID has caused a lot of disruption. So a lot of people are starting their own thing and um, people are getting it wrong. They're classifying, they're hiring people as 1099 contractors that should be employees. Right. That can be, you know, that can be a big problem. And, you know, Reed Hoffman, the VC, puts out a podcast uh, called Masters of Scale. And he has one episode where he talks about um, putting out fires. You know, startup companies have to know which fires to put out and which to let burn because you just can't get to it. It's not that big a problem. This is the Dixie fire. Uh, if you're in California, you know what that means. This is a big, big forest fire if you've got a misclassification problem because it can be so expensive to fix. And I've seen company after company that just, they were tanked because of some lawsuit over misclassification. That's my second tidbit for you to take away. Oh, and it's getting worse. California is, you know, very, very stringent, strong employee protection laws, which classify, they overclassify, I think, people as employees is spreading across the country. We may have a federal law to that effect by the, you know, by the end of Joe Biden's term. So, right. so it's something to really pay attention to. Yeah, I definitely have, have seen some stuff where he's got legislation or proposed legislation on, on that topic, which is scary um, with the way that some of these businesses work. Um, I'll give you another one. Uh, the third one is intellectual property, the kind of work I do. Companies really need their IP. And uh, you were talking about the do-it-yourself sites. And they all have these standard, broadly drafted forms that purport to deal with IP. It's not that simple. It's just not that easy. And I've seen companies get in lots of trouble over this stuff. They assign IP they don't have. Uh, they assign someone else's IP, they assign it to the wrong place, they turn their non-taxable IP into taxable IP. It just requires a little more thought than that. And again, it's not a problem till it's a problem. It's not a problem till number one, you're that one in 10 companies that's successful. And number two, the documents just happen to not line up, align with what you meant them to say. And then it's a humongous problem. Right. Now, so when people are coming into you to, to talk with you, um, what are some of their biggest fears that, that they have and in, in coming in? You know, I'm a happy event lawyer, so we're all looking at the future. And to be, and I work with startups, and to, and you have to be able to engage in a lot of suspension of disbelief and <laughs> to be in a startup to start with, because the odds are against you. So nobody is thinking about the downside. And again, as a professional warrior, 
part of, I think, my job is to remind them of the downside. And even though I'm 100% sure that they're going to be wildly successful, you know, just in case, uh, let's make sure you don't sign a personal guarantee. You know, let's make sure you don't use your, um, you'll appreciate this, Gary, let's make sure you don't use your payroll tax deposits to pay your rent. You know, let's make sure you don't make any stupid mistakes like that. Right. Yeah, that's that's definitely an important one. That's for sure. Um, what are some of the some of the challenges that you know you as as an attorney in in your your niche that you're in? What are some of the big challenges that you're facing right now? Well, this work from home stuff is uh, you know we've all managed to do it, but um, you know, and that's not just me as an attorney. I think everybody. I think we were all just more efficient and more collegial and more productive, frankly, when we could sit in a room and see each other. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of a challenge because I can't see my team in person. We have to do it by, you know, by technology. Not, not the biggest thing. Um, maybe, I, I guess maybe the, the biggest challenge is, is just in what, what we are trying to do here and what I generally do is just educating people letting them know when they should call me and letting them know what's important. Um, you know, which, again, which fires can you let burn and which ones are forest fires that we have to stop? So that's probably the, the biggest challenge. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer on, you know, building your team and let them help you build your plan from there. Um, and talking about that in, in the education side of it, I think is important because I think you really hit on something there. And the fact of letting them, you know, you educate them so they know what the questions are that they should be coming to you with, that you can help them, you know, put a plan together, you know, it's like, hey, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. That's not as important right now as, you know, this other issue. Um, and we definitely, we run into that, into that all the time. With your business and, and setting up um, companies and, and helping them with their intellectual property. How often do you end up meeting with them? Is it a, you know, okay, hey, we set you up and then, you know, we don't talk to you again until an event comes up or how often, you know, do um, you continue? Yeah, I mean, we're largely transactional. I mean, we will have a face-to-face -face meeting, even if it's over telecommunication at the beginning, because I need to ask a lot of questions. I start with a questionnaire. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, based on that questionnaire, we'll have a conversation. Uh, so I understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish and how and when, et cetera. Uh, and then we'll, we'll go into concluding whatever it is, forming a company, finishing a financing, putting a contract in place, whatever it is. And uh, after that, they'll, they'll hear from me periodically. I tend to check in and just make sure everything's okay and, uh, um, but yeah, it's highly transactional. Let me put it that way. People tend to call me when they've got a legal need and a transaction to conclude. Right. Yeah, I try to, um, you know, try to help the clients understand, you know, again, when is it that you really need to reach out? Um, and I think that, that lots of times, you know, they don't think about it, but when there's a life change for them, uh, even on the personal side, Lots of times that may affect their business in one way, shape, form, or another. And that's another good time to, to reach out to their attorney 
um, you know, to make sure that if there's any any changes need to be made, because um, it seems like lots of times people will will do things independently, but not try to pull it all back together. Like you said, you've been doing this a long time in different places and so forth. What is something that you that you may have learned um, over the time that that has kind of stuck with you from a you know a business standpoint um, that you try to practice every day? Oh, <laughs> well, uh, I will tell. Yeah, I do have a very good answer for, for that, and um, especially as I get older, um, I appreciate the fact that. Um, organization is just key. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny thing because lawyers, we learn in law school that, you know, every set of facts is different and everything requires lots of analysis, but we're, we're taught the opposite of standardization. And then you get into the real world and you realize that standardization is almost necessary just for efficiency, to lower cost, but also to reduce errors. Uh, you know, it's, it's Lean Six Sigma. And so what I've learned over time is to rely very, very heavily on process, you know, not just to wing anything. I've got a checklist, I've got a process, you know, everything follows that process. And that way errors just can't go through. An error for me is fatal. So I would say that's the biggest thing over the years is just having very strict processes. Yeah, I think that I think that that's very very good advice. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started out? <laughs> well, these questions don't get easier, do they? <laughs> uh, well, uh, maybe on a personal note, I, I kind of wish I'd known how much work I was in for. I mean, uh, well, a lawyer's life, and I kind of did. I remember my first job. Um, the first year I was working, um, I remember my boss, who was an older guy, he said, uh, you know, he said the law is a jealous mistress. And I said, I wonder what he means by that. And I soon found out. And uh, he said, if you're not willing to be here on weekends and at nights, you're in the wrong profession. So uh, you really have to love what you do to do this. You have to be willing to work really hard. Um, and um Maybe that's a good thing I didn't know that then because I probably wouldn't have gone into law. I would have done something easier, right. uh, but I don't mind it. I don't mind hard work. I don't mind being here a lot. So it's worked out fine for me, but I think people ought to be warned before they get into this profession. You know, right. that it is a burden. Yeah. So um, asked you a bunch of questions, covered a lot of things. Um, maybe this one, this one's better for you. Um, what is it I haven't asked you that you wish I had? Well, I, I think you, you've, you've covered a, a lot of ground. I guess the one thing that, that I maybe maybe would like to talk more about is just the industries that I'm most involved in. Mm -hmm. And if you had asked me that, I would say that I do quite a lot in agriculture technology, uh, ag tech, and that is the technology of food production. There's a huge revolution going on right now. We, we had an agricultural age, we had an information age, we're now in an ag tech age. Um, and uh, we're going to see the way food gets produced and delivered um, uh, change just dramatically. And it's already been going on for, for many years and it's going to continue to accelerate in the future years. So I'm really glad to be a part of that. We never thought that. That's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah.
So, Roger, if if somebody uh, that's listening to the podcast likes what they want to hear, they want to, you know, they have some intellectual property they want to talk to you about, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I'm not hiding. If you Google my name, it'll, you know, my website will pop up. Um, but you can always find me at roger.royce with an S, not with a C, it's Royce with an S, at haynesboon.com. Or just type in Roger Royce in Google and I'll come up. Roger, really appreciate your time and, and your wisdom that you've given us today. Um, and look forward to talking to you again soon. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.